0: Today, we go back to the encounter between Bildad and Job, found in Job chapters 8 through 10. We've begun looking at Bildad's argument against Job, and today we'll conclude our look at that argument, and we'll move into Job's answer. Bildad had a mistaken view of God. He understood justice, but he forgot about grace and mercy. In Bildad's view, it appears that man had to make himself just before God. But Job asks the age-old question, how can a man be just with God? We'll see that Job's view was more right than Bildad's, even though none of these characters got it just right. So join us today as we conclude our look at the encounter between Bildad and Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
1: How strange is the course that a Christian must steer!
0: look at Job's answer in the time we have left. Now, first of all, Job answers build that in chapters 9 and 10, and particularly in chapter 9, Job is envisioning an encounter with God in a courtroom setting. I like this, obviously, as a, as a lawyer and judge, that uh, it kind of piques my interest because there's so many, so many statements in here that are litigation-type statements. Uh, You don't have to make a list of these, but I just want to point it out. For instance, in verse 3 here, he says, if he will contend with him. The word contend means to enter into litigation. Uh, And also in there, he talks about answering him. The word answer there, it means to respond as a witness. Over in verse 15, he references a judge. In verse 19, he says, set me a time to plead. That's a courtroom term. In verse 33, we'll come back to this, but he talks about a daysman or a mediator or an umpire. On over a little further, there's a lot of this. Going forward, he keeps envisioning this courtroom setting. In the 13th chapter, in the 18th verse, Job says something about ordering his cause, Or in other words, I'm going to prepare my case before God. And then he he, he goes on to talk about uh, asking God to hear me. And that literally means to give me a legal hearing. And he talks about the adversary, which is an accuser in court. I like that. (laughs) So in chapter 9, Job's response is in a courtroom setting. And he asked two questions. And the first question he asked is found in verse 2. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? I know you've heard a lot of preaching from that, and you're going to hear more in the future. Because that's a great statement to teach us where we stand before God. But I want you to dismiss the theory of it right now. And I want you to think about the practicality of it of who's asking this question and where he is in life. This isn't some theologian in a seminary who is dealing with the issue of justice and judgment. This is a man who is suffering in the crucible of this, this wicked assault of Satan, who is struggling. This is a man, this isn't some high, highly educated doctor of divinity. This is a man who is schooled in the hard-knock lessons of life. Job is here saying, how can I be just before God? It's the question of the ages, is it not? It's a question that we all have dealt with as children of God. How is it that I can have a relationship with God? When you're born again... And you realize that God is your God and He has done, and He is, you have a vital relationship. How how is it that we get to that point? How can a wicked man who is corrupted by the sin of Adam be just before God? And he goes on to to, to make some statements here about who God is and who we are. Notice in verses three through ten, he talks about the power of God. Verse three if he will contend with him. There's that legal term again. If you want to litigate with God, you want to go to, you want to, go to court with God? I don't, I don't think I want to go to court with God. If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him. Talking to man, cannot answer God. One of a thousand. We can't even speak in his presence. You know, Romans 3 and 19 talks about the majesty of God and how that every mouth will be stopped before the, just, the judgment of God. I, I love Isaiah 6. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he saw his majesty fill the temple. And, then, you know, sometimes I'm afraid we get this idea of God as our old buddy, old pal, you know, or some good old friend, good old buddy that we can pile around with. And listen, he is our friend. Praise God. He's the friend of sinners. But he's not some... that you can dismiss and that you can come up to. You don't see Isaiah going up there into the temple saying, hey, old buddy, old pal, I've been looking for you for some time. Where have you been? No, he realized he was a man of unclean lips and he dwelt among a people of unclean lips. He, He hit the floor. He hit the dust like all do when they see God lifted up. See, Job is in the same position. He says, how should man be just with God? If he asks me questions, I can't answer even one of a thousand questions. And by the way, the irony of this is he proves it later, doesn't he? <laughs> he proves it later. I think it's seventy-seven questions that God asks. If I'm correct on my number in there, and not one of them could Job or any of his friends answer. <laughs> we can't even speak in his presence. Look at verse four. He is wise and hard and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? We can't even oppose him. We can't come up to him and say, well, God, I just don't like what you're doing. I'm against you. I mean, my goodness. God's so merciful. You know, we do that, don't we? So many times we question God. You know what he would be just to do? It, it, you ever? I used to love those, those mosquito bug lights, you know, that you hang up there that are electric. And, you know, it draws the mosquito in or the some kind of bug in it, it go, bzz, you hear it. You know, I love, I used to love to hear that. We'd be outside doing it. Bzz, 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 you know, just be constantly doing that. Cause it's, you know, what it's doing is frying those bugs. God would be just every time I look at him and say, why God to go, bzz, you know, and just fry me. He would be just. We can't oppose him. Praise God. He doesn't do that to us, but he would be just and right to do it. I, you know, I've had situations before. When I was a prosecutor, I'd go to court, and there'd be somebody on the other side, some defendant who didn't get it, as we say. And he'd walk up to the court, and he'd look up at the judge and say, Judge, here's what we're going to do. Well, I I'm not going to tell you what Judge Moore would say when that would happen, but it wasn't, okay, buddy, what do you think? <laughs> you see, that's the way we do God. Is it? Now, he says, we can't oppose him. We can't do anything against him. In verses 5 through 10, sort of are a preview of God's questions in Job 38 about creation. He said, which removeth the mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars tremble. Look at what God's doing. Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not. Did you know God could say, you know, we always think about the sun rising and setting, and say that, oh, wow, that's... uh, Uh, that's just automatic. We can count on one thing. We can count on the sun rising in the morning. If God says don't rise, we can't count on it. We can't stop it, but God can. He sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He's saying here, it's it's really a preview of the questions he's going to ask over in Job 38. He's going to say, where were you when I did this? And Job's not going to be able to answer. Well, Job gets it here. He's kind of seeing, you know, that's right. God's greater than me. I can't oppose him. In verse 10, I love, speaking of God, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Now, Job gets a little messed up, a little mixed up on God, what God's doing and on even the nature of God later on. But he's got him right right here. He's got him right, right here. Sometimes we do the same thing. We get mixed up. But if we can remember, God does great things past finding out. Job, this is the answer to your question right here. If you could just rest on this, you're not going to have any problems because you're going to say, wait a minute. I don't know what's happening to me, but I know my God is great and doeth great things past finding out. I can trust him. You see, Bildad and Eliphaz and Zophar later on, they're not trusting God. They're trying to shame Job with God. They're not encouraging him to lean upon him. They're encouraging him to be afraid of him. Yea, and wonders without number. How should man be just with God? Look at the power of God. We can't do anything with God. And now look at the position of God. Verse 11, Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. People think they've got a tail hold and a downhill pull on God. But God is greater than that. God is, is, is invisible. He passes by. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know where he's going. It's one of the problems I have with preachers that say, do A, B, C, and D, and you'll get born again. In other words, just do this and you've got a hold on God. We're told in John the third chapter that the Holy Spirit's like the wind. It blows where it wants to. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going next. God is God, you see. Verse 12. Behold, he taketh away who can hinder him, who will say unto him, what doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. I just want to point out one thing. And again, here, you understand, I hope I'm not correcting or improving on the translation because I believe it's exactly right. But it is interesting to to do a little word study on that term, proud helpers. That term, proud helpers, is the Hebrew word Rahab or Rahav. And it's a word that often refers to Egypt. Egypt is called Rahab in many places in the word of God, which is a type of the world. And in Job's day, it was also a reference to a mythical sea monster, a a great storm uh, that they would call that. Some of the pagans would call that Rahab on the ocean there. And notice, I don't know if Job's reference is to that. And I know he doesn't believe in that. I'm not saying, Job, that that's a correct interpretation of what the storm was. But it would have made sense to the people in his day. They would have said, oh, even the storm, even Rahab, the proud helpers do stoop. Under God, how should man be just with God? And the second question he asks comes up in verse 14. How could I answer God if he showed up? How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? In other words, if he came on the scene, what would I say? If he showed up, what would I do? Uh, Notice he says... He says, even if, I can, if, even if God showed up, I couldn't speak. Whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. If I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe he had hearkened unto my voice. I wouldn't even believe he was here if he did show up. A little caveat, a little side note, a little footnote. When God did show up, he knew it. I want to say to you, beloved, when God shows up in your life, you're going to know it. <laughs> you know it. When he did show up, he knew it. For he breaketh me with a tempest. Now here's where Job is getting off again. God, you're doing all this to me. When God's not doing all this to him. But he says, he breaketh me with a tempest, multiplyeth my wounds without cause. He won't suffer me to take a breath, filleth me with bitterness if I speak of strength. Lo, he is strong if of judgment. Who shall set me a time to plead? Even if God showed up, I couldn't speak. And even if I could speak, beginning here in verse 20, he said, even if I could speak, I would, it wouldn't change anything. If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I'm perfect, it shall prove me, prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet I would not know my soul. I would despise my life. In other words, I know I'm a sinner. And in verses 22 through 23, he's still buying into the idea that God is arbitrary and that God is doing this to him. He says, this is one thing. Therefore, he say, I said it, he destroyeth the perfect with the wicked. He goes down in verse 24 and he says, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges. If not, where and who is he? In other words, God, where are you? Where are you? You remember the disciples? Carest thou not that we perish? Lord, you don't care. Lord, where are you? How many times have I said things like this? And down in verses 25 through 31, and we won't read them all, but notice he's saying, if I put on a happy face, it wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't do any good. Verse 25, my days are swifter than a post; They flee away. He said in verse 27, if I say I will forget my complaint, if I just suck it up and become stoic and deal with it and smile in the face of adversity, it wouldn't do me any good. If I, wash my, if I wash myself with snow, verse 30, with snow water and make my hands clean, yet thou shalt plunge me in the ditch. My own clothes shall abhor me. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything for me to just become a stoic. Stoicism didn't work for Job. And I'm going to tell you, beloved, it won't work for us. And look at verse 32 now. If only I had a mediator he says if only I had a mediator for he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both job says something here that is the cry of every heartbroken child of god that i've ever known including myself if only i had a mediator if there was just some man who could intercede i hope you're i hope that rings a bell with you lord willing we're going to come back and finish this thought in a minute but but keep that thought in your mind if only there just was a mediator between me and god in verse in chapter 10 Job begins to pour out his anguish before God. We're not going to read the whole thing, but you read it. It's very similar to some chapters we read, chapters 4 and chapters 6 and 7, when Job is spoken before. Verses 1 through 3, Job is saying, Lord, I just wish I could die. He said, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. That phrase, bitterness of soul, occurs five times. In the Word of God is a phrase. And every time it's spoken by someone who is in desperate straits. In First Samuel chapter 1, it was spoken by Hannah, the barren uh, wife there who became the mother of Samuel, crying out to God. She was in bitterness of soul. Uh, then twi- three times in the book of Job, it appears from Job speaking it. And in Isaiah chapter 38, Hezekiah says it when he thought he was dying. This is something deeper than just being a little sad or a little down and out. This is bitterness of soul. And in the bitterness of his soul, he says, God, I want to die. Now, that's wrong thinking. You know it is, and I know it is. But I've been there. I'm sure you've been there or close to there where you wished you could die. Isaiah got, or Elijah got there. All of us have the potential to get there. And when we're there, we don't need somebody coming in saying, it's your fault. It's your problem. You're the reason for this. Listen, I know how faulty, how faulty I am. Nobody knows how big a sinner I am more than I do. You know how big a sinner you are. These men are coming in, and this man is in bitterness of soul, and they're not comforting him. He speaks to God beginning here in verse 2. Verses 4 through 6, he's saying, God, you can't identify with me because you're not a man. In verse 7, Some pride is slipping in. He says, you know I'm not wicked. (laughs) Now, he's correct in that his wickedness is not the direct cause of his suffering. The devil is. But some pride here is slipping in. Verses 8 through 13, he basically says, God, you made me. Why are you destroying me now? Why are you killing me, Lord? In verses 14 through 17, he says, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. But you already know that. In verse 15, he says, I am full of confusion. You ever been there? I've been there where I was so full of confusion. Lord, what's going on? What is going on? Verses 18 through 22. He says, Lord, why did you let me be born? See what Job is doing here. In this chapter in particular, he surveyed his situation and he could see no good reason for it all. He's looking at his life and he's saying, God, what a waste. What a waste my life is. What a waste of your good hard work it is to make me and now let me be where I am. Why this waste? You know, that's the same question that the disciples and those gathered around asked. When Mary came in uh, in her humble little way and brought that alabaster box of ointment and broke it and, and, and wiped the feet of Jesus with her tears and, with the, and anointed him with that, that ointment, they said, why this waste? It could have been used in such a greater way. Job is here. He said, why this waste? How many times have we done the same thing? Some baby dies, a tragic accident, uh, uh, some kind of problem in a family, some issue in our lives. We say, Lord, it just doesn't, it seems pointless. Why? This waste, it seems so vain. It seems so tragic. Let me leave you with this thought this morning. I don't know if it'll help you, but I believe it will because it sure helps me. God knew what he was doing in Job's day. He knew what he was doing in Christ's day. He knows what he's doing in our day. The ointment of Mary dried up many, many years ago. But the story of her faithfulness has endured. In fact, Jesus said, wherever they preach this gospel, what she's done for me will be preached. And it has been, has it not? Job's sufferings ceased thousands of years ago, but his story continues to this very day. We're still encouraged by the sufferings of Job. James 5 and 11, as we've read many times already in this series, said you've heard of the patience of Job. There's an there's a encouragement to the sufferings of Job and the patience of his endurance there. There's there's an encouragement there that God did not abandon him. And sometimes it's important that we suffer patiently in order, if nothing else, to inspire other people. Then finally this morning, Jesus said in John 5, 39, I believe it is, He said, search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but what does He say? They are they that testify of me. In this oldest book of the Scriptures, this oldest book of the Bible, they testify. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did we read in Job 9.32? He is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Notice what Job says. If there just were a mediator, here's what I would do. Let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him But it is not so with me. You see, without a mediator, Job was hopeless. But with a mediator, if there just were a mediator, then I would be able to speak to God. I would be able to talk with God. I would not fear God. And of course, we know that there was such a man. If there just were a man, there was a man. Isaiah fifty three twelve tells us he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession. For the transgressors, the transgressors. He was the mediator. Romans eight thirty four. Oh, how precious! After telling us about the great covenant of grace, where he entered into a, a purpose to save his people from their sins from the foundation of the world, he asked the question: Who is he that condemneth? Oh, Bildad and Eliphaz and Zophar and even Elihu, you're condemning Job. But who can legitimately condemn a child of God? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And just in case you're worried about it, just in case you're not sure He can get the job done. Hebrews 7:25 tells us that He is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Beloved, our God is not just willing, He's able to save us completely from everything that afflicts us. He has saved us for eternity from the penalty of sin. And in your life, child of God, the good news is he's able to deliver you from the power of sin and suffering in this life. Job didn't understand it all. He had an inkling of what was going on. He said, if I just had a mediator. Job, you got a mediator. (laughs) He's going to talk about that mediator in the 19th chapter. Oh, that my words were now written, that they were graven in lead and iron pen in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. Beloved, this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're suffering from. I know what I'm going through. And I know what I'm suffering from. I know where where my problems are. But I know my Redeemer lives. And my mediator is making intercession for me today. Just like Job's was in that day, even though he didn't know it. And even when you don't know it, even when you don't see it, like Job, God is there. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace.